Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organisations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges, joined by relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And again, we're going to talk about... One of these topics that, again, HR can get lumbered with, if you like, um, or we have to sort out, can be a bit painful, and we don't all necessarily feel as expert as we might. So one of our HR roll-in series, I'm delighted to have Mary Asante from HRI with me today to talk about IR35. Hi, Mary. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, Lucinda. Hello, everyone. I am Mary Asante. I'm a director of HRI. And I'm here to, uh, today with Lucinda to talk about IR35. Okay, so, I mean, we're going to keep everyone engaged in this one. This is one of those things that I had the accountant the other day saying, oh, what about AR35? It sits on as it's a bit of a pain point. It's a bit of one of those taxi legally things that we'd really rather not deal with. But would you like to just give us a bit of background and just an overview of it, Mary, for people? Yes, so um, the background to um, IR35 is really Inland Revenue or HMRC, looking at the gig economy, so to speak, uh, what's going on in there and thinking, well, uh, we are losing in billions of um, pounds a year. So they, it's estimated that HMRC is losing about 1.7 billion a year in taxes due to um the various forms of people working through intermediaries um limited companies and various other um guises that freelancers uh consultants and um yes um may operate with, with, within the economy it's, so the it's national insurance, is, isn't it, basically, that they're losing? Because you still have to pay tax as an independent consultant, don't you? It's just that your national insurance contributions are lower in the company and the, the business national insurance co- contributions are lower, aren't they? That's Isn't that it? So, no, it's not just national it's insurance. That. That's one part of it. So it's um, PAYE, uh, P-A-Y-E. So if you're an employee and say you earn 50 grand a year, you will pay PAYE on all the 50 grand a year. You'll pay national insurance contributions. Your employer will pay uh, um, employer tax on your earnings and employer MIA, uh, national insurance contributions as well on your earnings. So when somebody is operating as an independent consultant or a freelancer, normally their client or uh, whoever engages their service pay them either a rate or a fee for the service that they deliver 
and the individual is responsible for their own taxes. So the client engaging the individual um, freelancer or consultant will not pay any employer um, tax on um, their fee and they wouldn't pay employer national insurance contributions. The individual was then responsible or is responsible for paying their own taxes uh, and then corporation tax or any other tax that um, they may. Um, yeah, depending be, whether they're a sole trader or, co or a limited company. And uh, how most in, uh, contractors work is that they pay themselves typically a small amount in salary and then they take the other they may take the others in the form of dividends mm -hmm. so um that is how the whole thing came about so so overall you make much more money you take more of your money home as a contractor plus you pay plus you tend to charge at a higher day rate don't you as a contractor um which the companies would have been happy to pay because of the fact that they weren't having to pay the nic on it and things i guess so yes so i mean a lot of us have been in that position haven't we <laughs> Let's not also forget that there are some benefits that employees get but contractors don't get. Yes. So an employee can take sick pay, no. they can take paid holidays, um, etc. But uh, they may they might not like, get work all the time, also. You don't need yeah. through the employer. But if you are a contractor, then you don't get any of that unless you set up, let's say, a pension or something like mm. that through. So, and it's the risk, yeah. there's, you know, it's always a level of that you're getting a return for having taken the risk of being self-employed or setting your own business up as well. Absolutely, yes. However, the government doesn't see it that way. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so basically it's really clumping down on what is seen as a tax avoidance um, issue. Um, so the, the main thing is if you genuinely set up as a business, then you have very little to worry about, but it's really about somebody who acts and works as an employee. So yeah. they may have a contract in place, which says they are a contractor, but the reality of the way they operate is um, that the, uh, the nature of their work and everything, how they go about the business is very, very similar to how an employee would act for that particular client. Yes, and, and um, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is, this has been in place for three, three or four years, hasn't it? But the owners just recently shifted to the individual responsibility. There's, there's a change just recently that's gone into force, hasn't there? So basically, it was originally brought into the public sector in 2017. So within the public sector, the, they, became, uh, they became responsible uh, for determining whether somebody was an employee, a worker, or a contractor. Mm -hmm. And they've been doing that since 2017. And if you look at... Um, jobs or adverts for contractors or anything that is out there is mainly it will say something like this job or this contract is within the ir35 rules and most public sector roles have been like that for a while 
However, in 2020, that is when it was supposed to be extended to the private sector. But because we went into lockdown yeah. uh, because of the pandemic, everything was delayed until the 6th of April 2021. So it's only now coming to force and it's been extended to the private sector. And um, the only exception are very small organizations. So there is a test for it. And that test is really, um, if you qualify for two out of these three, so the turnover of the organization is not more than 10.2 million. The balance sheet um, is not more than uh, 5.1 million. And the number of employees is no more than 50. So if an organization meets two out of the three criteria, then the consultant or the contractor is so responsible for determining whether they fall within the IR35 rules or whether they fall outside of that. Oh, right. So if it's a, if you're a small business, then and then you you're not held accountable. Your contractor is held accountable in that. Is that what you're saying? Whereas if you're a large organisation or public sector, they are responsible. Have I understood that correctly? Yeah. yeah. Yes, you're right. If you're a medium to large organisation or a public sector organisation or agency, then you are responsible for determining that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and actually, it's interesting. I mean, you worked in the NHS, didn't you? And we've, well, we work with the NHS a lot. And actually, you can co totally see there were loads of fixed term contractors were there, which were absolutely employees. So I can see why that didn't make sense to to operate um, in, in those circumstances. Uh, it just becomes, uh, it was a bit of, an, and I saw my, my sister-in-law used to work for one of the large um, oil companies and, and they just offshore people in, in bulk basically. And so you could see it was tax avoidance in those circumstances. So um, I guess if you are, it's quite useful. And I've had this where we've in our business had a contractor in, but maybe they've come in for a period of time and they've actually worked three or four days a week so almost as if they are employees, there were certain things that we had to make sure were in the contract that we were careful about to make sure that they didn't seem like an employee. Do you want to go through those, the sort of things that you have to be careful about, which makes you um, appear less consultant, more employee, especially if you are somebody, which I imagine quite a lot of the people listening to this could fall into this. They're working for an SME. Um, who, so therefore, it's not the SME's responsibility. The responsibility is theirs. Um, and they need to make sure that they are not going to, because often as an HR professional, you might have the an email address for something. Let's say you're in on a retainer, you want to appear to be part of the business, but you don't in H, you know, you don't in the eyes of the HMRC. So how do we make sure we don't fall foul? There are a number of things. So one of them is you. There need to be a genuine reason for an, a commercial reason for the business to want to engage a, a consultant rather than employees so they are not choosing to go down the consultant route for ta tax avoidance purposes that they've got a genuine reason to and you going in as a consultant some of the things that you can look out for is the details of the contract itself so the nature of the contract should really lay out that you are a contractor you are not an employee and what we mean by that the test is really who decides or who determines how you do your job. So for example, if you go in and someone is giving you a brief for you to do, they give you a brief and you get on with it. 
they don't so much determine how you do it, when you do it, etc. then it's more likely to be able to highlight that, yes, you're a true consultant. The use of your own equipment. Um, yes, your own laptops, important, yes. yeah. Now, you mentioned emails, having to use somebody's email. Yes, some, uh, some companies prefer that, and actually some com companies, because of their information security systems yeah security it yes may well advise them from protecting their data and systems point of view to that be they able need to use it and that's a legitimate reason yeah. of their system that is not too much of an issue but maybe the laptop that you use for example to access that online system uh does it belong to the company if you all remember the Pimlico plumber um, case where the person was treated as a, a contractor for the purposes of they don't get holiday or anything like that, but it was actually ruled that they were an employee rather than uh, self-employed. So it's the test for whether someone is an employee or not hasn't really changed. What mm -hmm. has changed is how will you be paid? So are you paid on the same frequency as they would, for example, pay their own employee, etc. So all that needs to be uh, thought. And one key thing is, can you substitute? So for example, if you can um, substitute somebody, so if you are unwell, can somebody go in to do the work on your behalf? If the answer to that is no, then potentially you are not a contractor. They've taken yeah. you as a named employee and only you can deliver that. So you need to make sure that um, you can, your contract allows for somebody to, to be a substitute for you yeah. if need be. So th those are some of the the other one is you can't manage people. I remember as well. You you shouldn't be sort of in in a, in a sort of org chart with line management responsibilities, which obviously that seems quite obvious, I guess. But that was one that I someone mentioned to me the other day. But uh, fine, okay. So those are things that that are just to make sure that if you're someone supporting a business, even if you have gone in for a period of time, say three or four days, um, if you make sure that your contract is is defining these sort of things, that you are an independent contractor, you decide where the work's done, even though it might just be you that contractually you are able to send a substitute in if you needed to, that kind of thing, using your own equipment, then that's all going to minimise the risk of, of HMRC turning around to you at some point. And I don't know, do they do spot checks? How do they, well, it's only just come in, hasn't it, this bit, but um, what might happen if you are someone in that small business? I think by and by with the advancement of technology and with um, sort of government agencies potentially having more interoperable systems, it may become easier for HMRC mm. to even deduce that actually you work for X companies X times a week and it's quite consistent, etc. But then you are not in their books, we can see that through your thing, they invoice or you invoice them, they pay you, etc. So let's take a close look at this relationship to see whether it's a genuine contract uh, position or whether it's a disguised employment uh, position. 
but there, there are ways that they can do that. Now, the reality is HMRC has said that they wouldn't sort of retrospectively um, investigate people under IR35, but going forward, so from the day that it came into force, whether, say, from 2017 onwards, if you work within a public sector organization or from April uh, 2021, if you work within the private sector organization. So that there's a tool on the HMRC website that you can use yourself as a consultant to find out whether you come under that category or not. Your client, you should be having conversations with your client to understand what their turnover is, et cetera, just to see whether they meet that test of small organization yeah. or not. Yeah, um, whether it's going to land with them or you. <laughs> yeah. And um, if you fall inside IR35 rules, then the client is responsible uh, for deducting your taxes. So for both uh, PAYE and NI contribution and also the employer um, taxes as well. So again, when you're negotiating your rates, you need to bear that in mind because if you are inside IR35 and your day rate is, let's say for argument's sake, um, I don't know, 500 pounds, you need to bear in mind that your take home will not actually be 500 pounds because they will deduct um, those as so uh, taxes as sourced. So you need to factor that in. Um, if you are doing your self-assessment reports, you again need to make sure that you recognize that you've paid tax as source so that you don't end up paying double taxes. Otherwise, okay. your client has already taxed you and then you on top of that will pay tax. So you need to be able to recognize that as well. So if you could, in, in theory, if this is really, I would have thought it's retainers where this happens, because if you're just doing a piece of project work, which is discrete, you should be able to box that off as consultancy, you know, fair and square, right? Whereas if you were working on a retained basis with a business, and I suppose in theory, you could have a retained client that's big, that you're in IR35, that you're working three days a week for, and one that's small, which are two days a week for, which are outside. So it really, the, the accounting could get really quite complex, I'm guessing. Yes, it can get quite complex. But then again, the I think the key for us consultants to sort of bear in mind is whether you set up your business actually as a consultancy and you are running it as a genuine business and a genuine consultancy rather than you are kind of really in practice working for an organization, but through your limited company or something. So it's really how your contracts are set up uh, with each of your clients, um, how those arrangements are, and who is in control of how you do your work. Um, these substitutes that we talked about earlier, and also in terms of your equipment, who decides which days you work. Is there enough flexibility in there for, I'm really sorry, something's come up, so I'm not going to be able to do it today, I'll do it tomorrow. Or is it definitely you have to do it today? Because okay, I yeah, wouldn't yeah. have a choice, but a, a contractor in theory should have. That. Yes. Yeah. 
Okay, so so um, yeah, it's 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 definitely useful to think of. I mean, the, the, it is about the contract. It is about that, and, and I can see also it's one of those things that you can almost sort of creep into it, and, and you start as a contractor, but then you build a really good relationship, and they say, "Oh, can you carry on doing this and carry on?" And then you look around and think, "Actually, I'm at risk now." Maybe that's the sort of thing. It was almost you had to keep keep on top of it. Would you say? Yes. You, we need to sort of evaluate. Uh, what we're doing and how we're doing it and have that conversation with our clients as well. Uh, so communication is quite key in making sure that we remain uh, compliant. And if you've done, like most things, if you've done everything genuinely you can possibly do yeah. um, and you believe... Nothing to worry that, about. Then even yeah. if you do get investigated, I'm sure there is uh, very little um, to worry about. So we kind of went in on the personal element of it. I suppose just finally, though, if you're managing, if you're an internal HR professional, your it might be your job to keep an eye on IR35 for your employer. You know, if you are an employee or even more complicated if you're a consultant managing it. But um, what's the responsibility there in terms of the overall management? Does that fit with HR or is it more payroll? So it's a mixture of the two. It's really a mixture. We've, we've seen that HR people are getting drawn into reviewing contracts of contractors just to make sure because, yes, um, payroll do the payment, the invoicing, etc., or finance does it. Uh, depending on how the organization is structured. However, most HR people within organizations will understand employment status more than finance may understand employment status. So it's a joint um, effort between HR, payroll, finance, and potentially the legal team, depending on how an organization is structured. So a lot of HR people are getting drawn into determining the employment status from the contracts in place, um, managing sort of um, the IR35 um, case or projects, so to speak. A lot of contracts are being refined or rewritten to truly reflect whether the person is a contractor or whether the person is an employee, a worker, etc. Great, that was very clear. Thank you, Mary. Um, again, a really informative HRI um, summary. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast to do one of our, our HR's roll-in specials. And, and I know that was, that's just really helpful for us to have it all in one place. And I know you've got some really helpful notes as well, haven't you? So uh, in terms at the end, as ever, guys, on the on the podcast, we have our show notes. You can go to the show notes page. There'll be links back to the HRI site, how you can get in touch with Mary. And also you've got some really helpful um, downloads and blog. Is it, is it in a blog or is it a download that you've got over on the HRI site, Mary? So we'll, we'll have blogs, but we do we'll have downloads as well. Downloads too. And will they be available to non-members or um, is, it, is it mainly members that can get the information? So um, we have member sites, which gives more detailed and sort of resources members can reuse, but there will be free downloadables um, available to anyone as well. So the members sort of thing. Uh, get more um, information and more details stuff. Great. Okay, that's great. Wonderful. Thanks again for coming on, Mary. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. 
I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.